Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Change Healthcare Podcast. I'm Carolyn Wilkich, and I'm your host for today. I'm very excited we have the opportunity to meet with Matt Isles, who is the CEO of AHIP, and really talk about the unprecedented time that we're facing with the COVID-19 crisis that we're facing. So very excited to have him join us today. And I first want to start with, um, Matt, if you could help our listeners understand a little bit about your role and your background before we begin our discussion, that would be awesome. Sure, Carolyn. It's great to be here. Uh, Really excited to be back uh, with Change Healthcare on the podcast. Um, And I am president and CEO of America's Health Insurance Plans, and we are the national uh, trade association for health insurance providers, and we represent everyone. So we represent Uh, national plans, we represent blue plans, uh, local and regional plans, and we even represent um, plans that offer supplemental coverage like dental, vision, supplemental health care. I've been here uh, in uh, the CEO role for uh, coming up on two years. I've been at AHIP for a little more than five, and my background really has been in industry most of my career, Um, but I have worked in government as well. So I worked for Coventry Healthcare uh, before they were acquired by Aetna and ran their public affairs and policy and at a really interesting time as the Affordable Care Act was being enacted and implemented. I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for a couple of different companies, uh, Lilly first, and then Wyeth. They were bought by Pfizer, uh, so got to work on a lot of interesting drug, biologic, vaccine issues uh, over the years and and started my career uh, more than a quarter century ago uh, at the Congressional Budget Office uh, here in Washington, D.C., uh, during the Clinton health reform period. So have have seen a lot of different changes in healthcare over time, but uh, really excited to be here and, uh, you know, share the perspective about what health insurance providers are doing right now, uh, focusing on, on COVID uh, and all of the really dramatic impact it is having across our healthcare system. So thanks for having me. You're welcome. And we're thrilled that you can be here. You and I talked a couple weeks ago and really thought that would be a foundation for a good discussion for us to share with our audience. Um, And your background really serves you well as you think about what we're facing as an industry, right? Between your health plan experience, the congressional experience, um, and even pharmaceutical, right? As we think about the role that um, a vaccine or something else will serve in this crisis. So that's really very helpful to understand that. I thought we might just start with trying to understand from your perspective what you are hearing from your members as far as how they're facing the crisis and their top priorities. Sure. So it might be helpful to sort of back up just a little bit to the beginning of March, right? Because that's really when um, I think COVID uh, 19 sort of came to the forefront of American consciousness. And, and I think for health insurance providers too, we were following it before then as news was emerging, but it really uh, came to, I think, uh, the, the top of everyone's mind in, in the beginning of March. And we had a, a board meeting uh, here, uh, probably our last in-person meeting for a little while still at the beginning of March. Um, and it was at a time when, again, the, the news was taking off and, and there was a, a really strong recognition across our industry and, and the leadership of, uh, of our industry uh, through our board of directors to say, you know what, health insurance providers need to be a huge part of the solution here. And 
looking at the challenges that we were facing. And that was when testing was first coming to the forefront. It, you know, it's still testing is still a huge issue, but really making right. sure that our industry was addressing the challenges that Americans were going to be facing and making sure that cost would not be uh, a barrier to people receiving testing, making sure that they were having adequate supplies of medications uh, as the crisis was unfolding, making sure that things like medical management tools were not providing any barriers. And, you know, a real commitment to make sure that we were uh, stepping up and again, being part of the solution. And it's been a huge evolution. I think uh, as quickly as these two months now have, have gone by, um, you know, a lot of the concerns right now are how do we come out the other side uh, with respect to um, the economy, right? As we've seen the number of individuals who have lost their um lost their jobs and filed for unemployment and who may have been, you know, covered by their workplace uh, through an employer sponsored plan. What will, what will that mean for them? Um, the role of testing in terms of how we get back to work uh, and the role of um, diagnostic testing, but also uh, serological testing, antibodies. Um, how do we uh, look at the future in terms of you know, resuming care as states are, are reopening and, and hospitals and, and healthcare facilities are trying to reopen to, you know, get back to more normal states. Um, and just what it means longer term uh, with respect to uh, how we're going to ensure that everyone gets access to care and coverage that they need. Um, and thinking about 2021, right? So most of the health insurance industry is busily planning for 2021 and, and how do you plan uh, for what next year might look like given the dramatic uncertainty that we've faced now, right? Because we're just really beginning to understand uh, sort of more of the clinical features of the disease, what it might mean from a cost perspective, all of the care that has been deferred, what will that mean? Not just the procedures, but you know, the routine care that has been deferred and what will come out the other side. So I'd say there's just a, a huge amount of, of uncertainty in terms of uh, thinking about the future and, and how we, um, you know, make sure to continue to step forward and, and help lead through this crisis, recognizing the uh, frontline healthcare heroes or doctors, nurses, other healthcare workers who are really, really risking their lives um, in many cases. Uh, and, and how can we be supportive of them? That's very helpful. And, and I do think that the um, industry did a nice job, right, with the early signal around the port, how care would be covered and paid for so that people didn't have that worry as a consumer. You know, can I go get that test? Can I go get treatment? Can I afford it? That was really, I think, very helpful. And you could hear it very clearly in the industry. That was the response. Yeah, well, so thank you. you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're welcome. No, go, you're welcome. As you think about moving forward, right, you mentioned a lot of things that I've heard from customers as well in the market and um, planning for next year and all the questions that you raise. How have you heard your customers talk about um, helping that patient made that may be deferring care, whether it's a patient with a chronic, a, a member with a chronic illness or um, something they've put off. What have you heard from the health plans and how they're thinking about reaching those people during this time? It's a great question, Carolyn. And and they have been 
uh, taking a very active role to engage their members who they know have uh, health issues um, and have been very uh, proactively reaching out through all different channels, whether it be telephonically, uh, through their websites, uh, and through their, their care management teams, um, and others to make sure that people are getting the care that they need. Now, we want people to be as safe as possible and really think about, you know, going into a hospital ER or going into a physician's office, depending upon what's absolutely necessary. Uh, but whether it's um, making sure people have adequate supplies of medication, especially to manage chronic conditions, knowing the potentially catastrophic health consequences that could come about if people aren't doing that. Um, you know, they're really trying to leverage all different channels to make sure. And, and we know that telehealth has been a huge piece of it. Um, it I think we've probably seen, you know, more evolution uh, and innovation on the telehealth side, right, in the past two months than we've seen in the last 10 years. Um, and, and how we come out of uh, the COVID crisis on the other side and how we continue to really employ innovative technology to extend care and meet people where they are, I think will be one of the fascinating uh, things to watch. Right. I've been in a discussion where we've talked about, um, to your point, as we come out of this, what will be different, right? And what, um, and it's, there's so much around what norms will change and how society and culture will evolve. So as and you bring up telehealth, which is one of those places where, to your point, we've seen just a huge acceleration in the last, you know, 60, 90 days. As you hear from your members, um, what are they talking about related to telehealth in the future? Um, as they think about it, because there's been this huge acceleration and, you know, how do they see it post-crisis mode um, being a, an avenue for people to get care um, a different way than traditionally? It, it will be a huge new channel for people to um, access care. Right? As we think about how we've tried to stay connected um, during this period of, you know, social distancing and not being able to be with family and friends and, and loved ones. And, you know, I, I Zoom with my mother now, you know, I would have, you know, a month ago or two months ago, I would have never imagined that we'd be, you know, having family Zooms and, and she's even accessed care through telemedicine, um, you know, during this period of time. I don't want to say that the potential is limitless, but I do think we are going to see the application of telemedicine through all different mediums. And it could be, you know, phone, FaceTime, uh, you know, proprietary apps and different platforms out there. Um, and I've heard stories of it being employed in ways that I wouldn't have imagined um, earlier through, you know, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, in addition to, you know, a whole host of other ones that we know, of course, through primary care and, and others. Um, so I, I do think it's going to be dramatically different uh, in terms of how it gets used uh, coming out of this. Uh, I know we've heard, uh, you know, reports from our members and also from other segments within the healthcare sector. So from health systems and hospitals of increased, you know, utilization uh, by tens of thousands of percent. Right. I mean, I know it started from a small base, but it's you know gotten to a point now where 
Um, I think it's uh, absolutely going to be here to stay in a, in a channel that a lot of people uh, want to go to and will use, right? Because it's not as if we're going to return to normal uh, and the way that things were, even if states you know, reopen tomorrow, it's going to be a gradual process. And until people are comfortable because there are therapeutics and vaccines and other things that enable them and give them the confidence to sort of return to the way that things were, uh, or more similar to the way that things were, um, I think we'll continue to see uh, growth in the you know telemedicine channel uh, for for the foreseeable future. Yes, I agree, and I have two younger children. If I could do an ear infection through telehealth, that would be awesome. <laughs> I don't think we've reached that point yet, but because <laughs> that's typically a pretty quick visit, right? But Right. to do over the phone at this point. So thank you for that insight. I think the other thing I'll go back to one of your comments is how are your members thinking about the um, economic impact to their members, right? The consumer who may have lost a, a job or even the provider community. So there's really two questions there. How the health plans are thinking about the consumer and their ability to engage them going forward. And then also the provider community and the economic challenges they're facing. Great. Maybe why don't I start with the provider community, just because we've focused so much on making sure, especially that our healthcare, public health heroes on the front lines, you know, have the resources that they need. Um, and that really has been a top priority for our membership, uh, focusing on the hospitals and the frontline healthcare workers who are treating patients um, and you know, starting uh, with the work that we began in, in March, that, that was a big focus. And, and not just in terms of how we operate, but in terms of making sure that they have the resources that they need, both financial, uh, personal protective equipment, and others. Um, and that's why we were so supportive of the funding efforts uh, with respect to hospitals and the $100 billion that was you know, included as part of the CARES Act and then the subsequent $75 billion um, around that because we knew the challenges that, that providers were facing. And so many of uh, our members across the entire industry have been working with their healthcare partners um, to really make sure that um, they can continue to operate uh, knowing just how dramatically they've been challenged. I can't say that there's a one-size-fits-all because we have you know, some companies that have really been focused on um, those who are serving, uh, you know, more vulnerable populations and lower income populations, like through the federal FQHCs, or others who have been, you know, focused on making sure that their primary care physicians are supported. Um, and it's going to be, a, I think, a continued theme for, for us to make sure that um, the, the providers really are um, taken care of and, and able to operate and function and that are able to resume as, as much as normal as, as whatever normal looks like uh, in the future. Uh, switching to the um, uh, consumer piece, I think that really you know, has especially taken um, uh, a jump forward in terms of how much the focus now needs to be on the individuals who have been so economically affected um, by COVID. You know, beyond the healthcare challenges, um, as we have now seen, you know, more than 30 million Americans, you know, file for uninsurement, un, uh, unemployment benefits. 
Um, we know a huge number of those individuals have uh, employer-sponsored coverage, and a, a large number of employers are continuing, um, even those when they've been furloughed, to offer uh, and continue health benefits. But we know that that can't continue indefinitely, and, and that those businesses that are economically strapped and challenged um, and sort of struggling for their economic survival um, you know, won't be able to continue that forever. So that's why we've been making sure that Congress and the administration are aware of the challenges with respect to provision of health insurance coverage and, and making sure that that is part of the equation and uh, supporting efforts to uh, provide direct assistance to employers so that they can maintain health benefits uh, in this country for uh, their employees. Uh, for those that have either been you know, furloughed or unfortunately maybe their job terminated, um, you know, we're supporting uh, efforts to extend COBRA uh, for uh, you know a, a temporary period. We don't we don't think that this should be permanent, but to to significantly finance COBRA for those individuals. If you think about how many people's lives have been disrupted, and those we want people that started the year with a particular health insurance plan and coverage to be able to continue that throughout the year. This is already such a uncertain and disruptive time. Uh, and we know, especially when these kinds of transitions happen and you're not able to plan for them, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, but being able to allow people to maintain the sort of consistency of coverage, it's great that we have the marketplace and the ability now for people to enroll uh, in that coverage if they lost it through a, you know, a special enrollment period. But we've also supported, uh, you know, reopening uh, the marketplace uh, and allowing individuals who didn't have coverage at this time to go and get coverage. And we've seen a lot of states that operate their own marketplaces um, providing a special enrollment period to let people uh, get coverage, right? Because we don't know how this is going to evolve and we don't know whether we're gonna see another wave uh, of, uh, of COVID later in the year and when we'll have vaccines and therapeutics. You know, Medicaid is going to become even more important. Uh, uh, it's already you know, covering, uh, you know, 80 million Americans almost before uh, the pandemic and how that's going to shift uh, over time. And so, you know, really making sure that consumers understand their, their coverage options and then all of the steps that the industry has taken with respect to, you know, waiving costs for testing, waiving costs for treatment and making sure uh, that individuals know that they should not look at cost as a barrier to going and seeking testing or treatment because that's going to be covered regardless of you know the type of uh, benefit plan that you have or if you had a deductible or what cost sharing you might have had under your, your you know your regular coverage you know that's not an issue now we want to make sure everyone knows that no that's a great summary thank you of what you've been active in and helping support the broader um, industry, right, and the messaging you've been sharing in Washington. So it's very helpful to understand the positions you've been taking and helping influence and shape those things that are happening. Um, it's so important, right, as a consumer to know that you have an option for coverage if you didn't, if you had, you know, an employer-sponsored plan, how do you transition from that during this time? Very scary if you think about means at an individual level for a consumer. So that's great to understand that. As you um, have been talking to your plans and have them thinking about 2021, as you mentioned, most of them are planning for next year and it's 
um, as I've talked to customers, right, it's so difficult to be thinking about what will look like when, right, to your point about certain states reopening and having reopening happening in a different way in different places. And um, what are you hearing from your members and or what advice would you offer to people as they think about those decisions they're making about 2021 and those types of things? Yeah, I, I, I don't envy the actuaries right now. I mean, it really <laughs> Uh, an incredibly dynamic, uh, challenging time because, uh, as we talked about in the beginning, just the level of uncertainty in so many different moving parts and trying to figure out sort of what is maybe a permanent impact versus a, a you know a temporal impact, you know versus something that we haven't even yet thought of uh, with respect to downstream implications. And so, you know, we've been um, making sure that one they have sort of the latest information about you know what what kind of guidance is coming out from the federal government whether it be through you know cms and regulatory changes that could impact how they need to think about um you know next year right there have been so many changes with respect to for example you know telehealth or the implications of um you know prior legislation so the you know cares act included a bump in the Medicare inpatient rate uh, of 20% for COVID-related claims. You know, what does that mean? What do we think about the, you know, future of of drugs and, and therapeutics? And it's really, really challenging. And and that's why, because we don't know what the ultimate sort of impact is, that we've been um, advocating for um, some risk mitigation, you know, programs that are unique to each different type of coverage, right? So Medicare Advantage, right, where the um, bids are, are due June 1st, right? So uh, a month from today, I mean, how do you even think about, you know, pricing and benefit design and things like the significant reduction in utilization uh, that we've seen, um, even though, you know, CMS has put out some very helpful guidance with respect to telehealth, um, we're going to see potentially dramatic you know, either changes in, in premiums or reduction in, in potential supplemental benefits that have been so popular um, because uh, of the reduction in utilization and not to get too technical, but in in, in risk scores that are, are just different because of, of COVID. It, it, it's not that the underlying health conditions have changed any, it's just the ability to capture that information. So how do you, you know, account for those things? Um, Again, those the the utilization impact of COVID has been so dramatic that we just know people aren't getting the routine care that you know that they need, and so you know Medicare right. is is one you know and it's grown so dramatically. Uh, you know we would hate to see you know some of the disruptions there. And what are we going to see with respect to you know Medicaid enrollment? Um, and you know we we have already seen increases in enrollment as some of the legislation changed the rules around when people need to be sort of requalified or have uh, what's known as an eligibility determination. Um, states, you know, aren't doing that sort of process where they're going back and recertifying, uh, you know, now. And so we've seen Medicaid grow and as uh, additional people have, you know, lost their jobs and, and qualified for, for Medicaid coverage. And how many people are going to go into, you know, new Medicaid uh, managed care plans and, and in, the, in the group, in the commercial market, you know, as well, just this great uncertainty because we don't know. Uh, to the to your earlier point, kind of like, what's the impact of the deferral of all of these care? Like, we know that the 
um, you know, elected procedures that were postponed. They will come back. It's going to take a while for them to work through the system. But for how many people are they going to have much more, you know, serious conditions that had they been able to be uh, treated earlier, um, you know, is there going to be a higher level of acuity and severity? And are we going to see things next year that we just can't plan for? So, um, you know, it's it, not an easy time to try and figure out these things. I know that our our members are all, you know, doing their best uh, uh, to try and, you know, figure these things out. You know, more time would probably be a little bit better. And that's something that we've also been advocating for to really push out the timelines a little bit. You can only do so much you know, for uh, a benefit year, uh, knowing that, you know, you have an enrollment period in the fall, but anything that we can do so that we can have some, you know, better information um, for for that is, would be helpful. Yes, it is very challenging, right? No matter what part of this industry you're in, or even this overall anywhere, right, in the country right now, if you think about anyone trying to think about financial planning and forecasting, it's something none of us have ever faced, right? And yeah. how do you do that well? And and factor in as much as you can and had lots of conversations with people about that. And when you talk about Medicaid, you know, then you have the other challenge coming in of just the economic health of the state, right? And the loss of tax revenue or other revenues because of the people not being out and spending money, right? So I think Medicaid is going to get pretty complicated as we think about the overall burden on the state economically and then an increase in Medicaid membership, right? There'll be a very... Um, challenging for states to deal with that as they navigate that um, economic balance. It, it will be. And, and we know we know the whole that, you know, states were already, uh, you know, strapped uh, and knew the challenges that they were facing with respect to Medicaid. And, you know, one of the earlier COVID packages bumped up the federal match by 6.2%. But Given the economic devastation that we've seen and the reduction in economic activity, um, there's no way that that's going to be adequate uh, to sort of fill right. the gap at the state level. It's going to take, you know, a significant, you know, increase from that. I don't know if you recall back in 2008, 2009, um, that there was, uh, you know, a much higher bump, uh, about 12 percent, uh, and also adjustments based on economic conditions of the state. So if that um, unemployment levels were higher than the than the match was higher. And we're going to need, I think, those kinds of policies um, implemented and enacted by the Congress uh, and, and more. Uh, again, this this is going to have an impact that is, you know, far beyond what we experienced, uh, you know, a little more than a decade ago, as bad as we all thought that was at the time. You know, this is going to be right. a I believe that much worse for for states and and local governments and and they're going to need they're going to need help. They are. And to your point about 2008-2009, right? We try to go back and look at that and take lessons from that, but the the impact here just is so much more far-reaching as you think about the the long-term effect on individual healthcare, right? Um, you read stories in the press about people not going to the hospital that needed to go to the hospital, right? And the implications of that. So, just yeah, I mean, far-reaching and long-term I guess, you know, one one benefit, right, that's different today, obviously, is, you know, the availability of coverage through the individual market that, you know, wasn't really available back then. And we know, you know, from, from 2008, 2009, that a large share of individuals, almost two-thirds of them, that uh, lost employer-based coverage, um, you know, went uninsured. 
at that point. And, and now at least we have an option through the you know marketplace and also you know through the Medicaid expansion for those you know many states that have expanded Medicaid. So the, the safety net is definitely you know better in that way. But um, you know just coming back to the employer market for a second, the experience from 2008, 2009, where COBRA was subsidized uh, to the tune of, of 65% of the premium, which sounds like a lot. Uh, but when, you know, an, a typical sort of family premium uh, for COBRA coverage is, you know, ballpark about $2,000 a month. If you had to pay, you know, 35% of that or $700 and you lost your job and, you know, your sources of income, that's probably a bit too much. So that's why, you know, right. pushing for, you know, much more robust assistance through COBRA and even adjusting the, you know, subsidies within the uh, the premium tax credit structure in the individual market, you know, so many of the people that rely on coverage in the individual market work in the service industries, um, and service mm -hmm. industries have been absolutely, um, you know, devastated by by COVID as we've shut down non-essential, so many non-essential, you know, services. And so even, you know, small changes in, in the premiums uh, for those individuals, if you're even if you are getting a, a meaningful subsidy today, might not be good enough for you to be able to con uh, continue coverage. And that's why a, lo a lot of our members have, you know, extended grace periods, both in the, you know, the, the group and the individual market, recognizing the struggles uh, that, uh, you know, that businesses and, and individuals are facing. That makes a lot of sense. And, and you're right, the safety net is a lot better um, than 2008, 2009. So that is, uh, a light of optimism, right? That the, we can look to and give people some options that may make you have options in the past. What are you hearing? Um, I hear some dialogue within our organization as I talk to providers about, um, you know, the financial stability. And as I talk to health plans, they talk about the, the network and the coverage and access. So as you and the health plan, your health plan members are talking about provider access and how that looks in the future. Does it cause more consolidation? Does it cause people not to have access? Um, what are you hearing from your members as they think about that provider network concern and how the network will look different? Yeah, and I mean, the networks will look different, um, right? Because we know that, you know, some providers will be, you know, severely affected and, you know, have to do different things that sort of change the way that they operate. I think one area in particular, you know, we're very focused on is primary care. Um, and, you know, what is the role of primary care going forward? And especially when you think about the, you know, smaller independent uh, physician practices, you know, how do they, um, uh, you know, come out of this and how do we ensure that we have a, you know, a, a, a base of primary care in this country that, you know, that is uh, at least as strong as it was prior to the, cover, the COVID epidemic and, and coming out the other side. But, you know, it's across providers of all different types. I mean, I, th I think it's hard to predict exactly, you know, what the um, what the impact will be and how different it, it will uh, be in the future. I mean, certainly, I think, you know, the, the role of telehealth as well will change provider networks as we rethink about things like, you know, traditional time and distance standards, uh, you know, don't really apply in the same way when you have telehealth, but how do you also at the same time sort of maintain, you know, consistency of care and coordination? And, you know, it's going to be a complicated, uh, 
you know, in some ways it'll be more complicated how we figure that out. But I do think, you know, we'll also be able to extend networks and access into different areas um, that might have been, you know, challenging in the past. I think just think about the area around like behavioral health and, and mental health. I mean, and, and that has been such a huge focus um, of our members, um, you know, throughout this crisis, knowing the, you know, the importance of um, making sure people have connections, uh, especially when, you know, isolated and the role that social isolation and loneliness and, and can have on your health. Um, and I, I think that's a, an area of, that's going also to be of great attention in, in terms of how sort of the, you know, both the, the national psyche and then when you take it down to an individual uh, level, right? How is that going to change uh, for people, you know, in the future? And depending upon, you know, what their age is, right? We may see very substantial differences, you know, in in younger people in terms of how this affects them uh, longer term. If you think about, you know, adolescents or young adults who are going through, you know, a very challenging time and had expectations about, you know, things that they wanted to do um, and that they haven't been able to do. And what will those uh, effects be on, on healthcare uh, longer term to those people that have, might have, you know, lost their their job and and not able to provide for their family in the same way to seniors uh, who have been more isolated. I mean, it's it's really hard to to project how dramatic those impacts, you know, could be and and what will it mean for things like networks and how do we ensure that people have access to the full range of of providers uh, and treatments and services that they need to to really sort of. Uh, maintain and, and realize their 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 best possible health. Right. I, the isolation is so hard. I look at my mother-in-law, who um, she's in her early 80s, and was such a, she's such an active person, right? It's part of what's kept her young, right, and, and healthy. And being isolated has been so hard for her. Um, and to your point about your mother, right, we've been doing Zoom with her, and she's learned how to do that, which is awesome. And the other day, she was actually hosting a Zoom book club with her friends. And it's awesome because otherwise the isolation was just too much for her, right? So it's still hard, um, but she's learned to use some technology to help her with that. Right. And you can only you know, take so many walks with your dog and, you know, that may be <laughs> the upside, so, you know, that we see is, uh, you know, for some people, maybe they, they have focused a little bit more on their health and, you know, getting outside and, and being active because it's, you know, it's a way to pass the time either, you know, walking, jogging, you know, bicycling or, or other things that maybe they hadn't done in a while and will create some new habits. So maybe there's some, you know, faint silver lining of all of this, but, uh, but, but you're right. I mean, it, it just the impact and whether it be through the isolation or, or other uh, challenges, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's very interesting to think about, you know, the future. Right. I, I saw a TV story about a bike shop saying they've never been this busy. To your point about people taking up either something they used to do or now doing. Um, he fundamentally said he couldn't keep, you know, when the shipment came in, the bikes were gone within 24 hours. So there are some upsides to people thinking about trying to stay healthy through the process of sheltering in, in place. So Matt, we've talked about a lot of different facets of the um, situation and the things facing your members. Is there anything we haven't touched upon that you think would be helpful to talk about or have the audience hear about? Sure. I mean, I think one area that we haven't really gotten into um, that, we're, that we're all still figuring out is really what is this role of testing as we try and sort of restart and reopen the economy and, and how is that 
going to be accomplished, whether it be on the diagnostic side or on the antibody side? And you know, what's the role of, of the healthcare system versus public health um, and our infrastructure through you know public health entities um, and employers? Uh, and you know, knowing that uh, you know there is such great interest in testing and and making sure that it's widespread. Um, will it be uh, sort of a, a mandate before being able to, you know, go back to work in certain areas? And, you know, how does that all evolve? You know, there's still a lot of uncertainty around the antibody tests, both in terms of, um, you know, their accuracy. Uh, you know, the FDA did not require sort of approval of the existing antibody uh, tests or, or, or the new antibody tests that were coming on the market. And, you know, how might that impact things if people have, you know, false negative or false positive, uh, you know, results. Right. I mean, how do we make sure that that gets, um, you know, sorted very quickly? Because until we do, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be very hard to, you know, get back to something that looks like a, you know, a semblance of normal and also to for people to have, um, you know, the confidence that they can, you know, safely go to a restaurant or, you know, hopefully go back to the theater or concerts or sporting events or, you know, so many things that people enjoy doing it in, in big groups. Um, and is it really that we're going to have to wait for um, a vaccine to be developed? It's wonderful that we're seeing some of the treatments um, come, uh, you know, get some good, good results in progress like remdesivir, right? But that's to treat the infection. That's not going to... Right sort of prevent it and allow us to get back to it? And, and how do we, as a society, balance sort of the needs of making sure that, you know, people have access to those? If, if we if we as a country are going to need, you know, 300 plus million doses of a vaccine, assuming it's, you know, it's just a single vaccine, it's not a series, um, right? How are we going to manage and allocate and make sure that, you know, prioritize uh, that because there is going to be such, I think, you know, enormous demand in, in a way that we haven't ever seen. And I know that, you know, our members are, are thinking a lot about the, the therapeutics and, and vaccine side as well. And how do we make sure that one, of course, you know, it's, it's affordable, it's going to have to be uh, affordable. Right. Um, you know, this is not, you know, this is very different than, you know, a lot of the other sort of newer innovative therapies that are being developed just because the, the situation is so different. But I think that's, you know, that's that's definitely the, the next big thing that, uh, you know, we need to be thinking about. And hopefully it will be sooner rather rather than later, because otherwise, you know, I think the, the you know, the the pandemic and and, the you know, the risk of sort of a, a, a snapback or other challenges, you know, are, are significant. And I know that that's something that everyone wants to avoid. Right. And you just you read about the uncertainty about how many people were asymptomatic. Right. And do we really, we don't understand that yet, right? Because we haven't had the ability to test, you know, as we prioritize testing where it made sense, people may have been sick and didn't realize it because they didn't have the symptoms. So I do think that what you talk about is so important as we think about returning to work or to the restaurant, right? I read an article today about what it may look like to fly again, like to get back on a plane and being able to demonstrate that you have antibiotics or um, it's a, pretty daunting. It was a pretty daunting article. I was like, wow, I thought about flying again, but I don't think I thought it would be like this, right? Right. Um, so right. It, it would be very interesting to no see um, 
how, how it progresses. You know, I optimistic when you think about the number of people and scientists and the communities working together to try to solve these problems. But the uncertainty is, I think, what plays into some of the hardship of people understanding without having answers, right? The unknown sometimes is harder than having the answer and knowing that you can go back to school in September, yes or no, right? Um, those types of things. So it is a very challenging time for everyone. No doubt. No I was talking doubt. to a customer yesterday at a health plan, and we were talking about how it really underlies everything you talk about, right? And how you run your business and how you serve your members and do that well at the same time, serve your employee base um, effectively as well. That's right. That's right. I mean, the, the I am though amazed by how um, successful you know our industry has been able to operate you know remotely, and so you know how many of our members are you know, so largely virtual now in terms of being able to operate and not, not miss, um, you know, not, not really miss a beat, at least in terms of being able to service, you know, their members and, and do all the things that they've needed to do. And, you know, that really is amazing when you think about, you know, how technology has enabled those kinds of business continuity, uh, you know, plans to be implemented. Uh, you know, of course, there's always hiccups here and there, but, but by and large, you know, that has not been a, a, a problem. And I think it is sort of a testament to the, you know, resiliency and the, you know, the planning and the execution, um, you know, across across the industry. It has been impressive, right? I, you just think about the number of people that have worked from home, even our own company at Change. We've sent everyone we can home, right? Unless it's a function that requires to be in the office, um, like opening the mail, that type of thing. Um, right. It is really amazing what the industry, what the whole nation has done yeah. to do that across all industries. Before we wrap up, Matt, any final thoughts you want to share with the audience? No, I, I think I'm like you. I'm I'm optimistic uh, about the the future. I, I know that we'll, you know, come out of this different, but I think there will be, you know, ways in which we work and operate and and think about healthcare that are are fundamentally different. And and I'm optimistic that, you know beyond, you know, those things and, and finding, you know, treatments and, and vaccines that, that we really will sort of focus on how we ensure that people are able to get the uh, care and coverage that they need, that we support our healthcare uh, workforce uh, and the frontline heroes a little bit differently. And, you know, I, I am optimistic that there will be, uh, once we get out of this, uh, uh, you know, this pandemic, uh, you know, there will be some benefits and, and we'll, we'll look at each other a little bit differently and hopefully be able to, to partner and work, work more effectively, uh, you know, for the long term. Yes, I think that um, I can't wait, like, to go back to the office, <laughs> right? <laughs> It'd be a nice thing to do someday. Um, but I, I share your optimism, right? There's so much collaboration happening in the, in the industry if you think about, you know, some of your opening comments about making sure the consumer understood that the test would, you know, testing would be covered and care would be covered. I feel like we've really done a nice response and there's innovation here that will serve us well in the future. So if we can all partner on that innovation and really help transform healthcare. Um, we've all been focused on that as your organization, our organization. And this in some ways has been a catalyst for some things to accelerate from innovation faster than we would have ever done on our own in a sense. So hopefully we can bring those things forward and get us to a point of testing and um, treatment and vaccine will um, 
be the big thing to tackle from a COVID-19 perspective, but then leverage the innovations that have happened along the way here to, to really transform and get us to a better place with care delivery and coverage in the United States. Absolutely. Well said, Carolyn. Thank you. Well, Matt, it's been so nice of you to join us today and take all this time. Um, appreciate your insights. Um, we're just fabulous. So thank you. And I hope our listeners were able to glean some information from this dialogue and um, want to just wrap up and say thank you and hope everyone has a great rest of the day. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Change Healthcare Podcast. For more information on this and other healthcare IT topics, please visit changehealthcare.com. Don't forget to check the show notes for useful links to related resources and our contact information. Thanks for listening and have a great day.